Morning, Georgetown Christian. My name's Chris Tanner. I'm the teaching pastor here. Woo! And guess what? You guys get to finish a series I thought would never end. We're looking at Matthew's use of the Old Testament in chapters 1 and 2. And if you're a guest today, you will probably be greeted by some of our GCC family, and they might ask, have you been to El Nopal? It's not a trick. Just say, yeah, I like Mexican food and go eat with them. And uh, if you're joining us online, we know most of you join us online to check us out first. So, hey, if you're online, say, hey, in the chat. Uh, We're almost always broadcasting there on YouTube, except for when we have tech gremlins, which shout out to the tech team. They came in this morning. It was all on fire. It had a life of its own. It was unbelievable. It had a literal pulse. And here we are up and running. Good job, tech team. So uh, I want to start by sharing a couple of unexpected experiences. But before I do, you're positively going to need a Bible today. We have some slides. But you're going to need not only a Bible, you're going to need all of your fingers to put them into Isaiah and Zechariah and Jeremiah. And you can just go ahead and get started. And I'm going to give you guys all a sword drill quick tip, okay? We're opening our Bibles. Remember, we open them halfway. I'm keeping my finger in Matthew. I'm cheating. But we open them halfway, right? And then you take that left side and you, like, open it halfway again. You should land somewhere, like, in Matthew. And if you want to get to Zechariah, you just, like, hit reverse just a little bit, and you, there you are, okay? So besides that, I mean, Isaiah and Jeremiah are huge, so you should be able to find them in the Old Testament fairly easily. So unexpected, right? We're talking about some unexpected things today. Uh, when I was probably 10, I'll, I'll say, this car show, Dad and I went to a lot of car shows together. I think I was probably 10, 9, something like that. I went to this car show with Dad. We're done. We're leaving. I'm thinking I'm getting cheeseburgers, right? It was my favorite. And uh, we hop in the car, and he goes to turn the key in the ignition, and nothing, no lights, no bzzz, no, I mean, cars used to buzz, just FYI. Uh, And nothing, no sound at all, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And so he pops the hood and runs around, and I'm a great helper, so I hop in the driver's seat, and I'm going to help him figure it out. And he's like wiggling the battery cable, and so I lay on the horn to make sure that battery cable's connected, and lo and behold, it is. And so his heart is like, boom, right on the hood of the car, he smacks his head, and he reaches around the side. I'm sure he was saying, like, thank you for letting me know the battery cable is connected. I'm pretty sure that's what he was saying. Uh, and um, yeah, so it turns out the battery was connected. Um, a great helper. And uh, so then another unexpected time, we're at another car show. This one is actually the National Street Rod Association in Louisville, like 20,000 cars all over the Kentucky State Fairgrounds, right? And all the time, somebody will turn on their car so you can hear his sweet cam or his new exhaust or whatever, and it sounds great. But uh, then sometimes there'll be a guy that leaves it on just a little longer than the next guy, and it's just really loud. And then other times, there'll be someone who turns it on and just will not turn it off, right? And it's obnoxious because it's not as cool as he thinks it is. But this one actually was as cool as we thought it was, right? It sounded throaty, and it was amazing. So we're here in this super loud car. And so as it happens, like, people start to turn their heads towards the noise and eventually people even start to walk that direction, and that's what happened. We started walking that direction. As you approach the side of Freedom Hall there, it's like parked in front, we start to notice people gathering around that car, making all of that loud noise. And we're thinking, we're going to see the sweetest car ever, right? And we get up there, and I will tell you, I mean, we're talking about some unexpected things today. It was a UPS truck. (laughs) What in the world, right? That was really unexpected, but evidently UPS is really excited about cars, and so they'd spent like a billion dollars on this thing. It was awesome. It's definitely faster than my car, which is not saying much, but it was really fast. So, uh, and then our, our, um, 
Our family last uh, summer did a road trip, and uh, we were leaving uh, uh, like Zion or something like that, Zion National Park, going to the Grand Canyon. And have any of you ever played like GPS, dueling GPSs? Has anybody ever played du dueling GPSs where like one spouse was like, I'm using Google, I mean, let's not make it an argument. I'm going to use Google Maps because I just like it. And the other spouse says, I'm going to use Waze because I like it. It wasn't one of those conversations. It was like, why is Google Maps saying it's only 30 minutes and Waze is saying it's three hours and 30 minutes? Like, the sun will be down and there will be a Grand Canyon, but it will be dark and it will not be fun to see. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Let's go with a 30-minute one, right? So, so we follow the directions for the 30-minute one, whichever app that was, I don't remember. Talk about unexpected. The very last turn, uh, second to last turn before we get to the park, we're like, I don't know, 25 minutes away, right? It's, there's only two more turns. So we take the second to last turn, and it's off onto this gravel road. It just says 308 over here, and I'm thinking, uh, what is this? So we go like a mile down the road, and it's literally just gravel. We see no other cars, and I'm thinking like, I mean, I love off-road adventures, right? I mean, you all know I love off-road adventures. But when I go on an off-road adventure, I have friends with me. We have recovery gear. We're driving things that it's, in fact, fun if you hit a tree. No one cares, right? It's just, it's all fun, right? And you also have, what? A cell signal, right? We lost the cell signal after like two miles in. So we're like, oh my gosh, where are we going? And I'm driving Andrea's brand new to her minivan, nicest van she's ever owned in her life, right? And I'm thinking, I don't ever off-road alone. I don't ever off-road without recovery gear. I don't ever off-road without friends. I sure as heck don't off-road without a cell phone signal, right? And so she's like, oh, it's fine. It's gravel. We can wash it off. And I'm thinking, as long as it stays gravel, this is good, right? And so we're on our way down this gravel road that goes for, I don't know, we have no signal, but 24 more miles. Holy unexpected turn, Batman, right? In life, there's a lot of unexpected well, in Matthew, we're wrapping up the study of Matthew's use of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In his gospel, he uses five Old Testament quotations, and you will positively need a Bible. So go ahead and make your way to the Bibles that we have provided under the chairs here. You're going to need to be looking in the Bible because I'm going to have some audience response time. We're going to say some words together that we read in Scripture together. And I will try to go slowly. I will try to go slowly because it's not easy to turn to some of these, okay? The first one you want to find is Isaiah. But while you're finding Isaiah, I want to quickly review. You've got one finger in Matthew, right? Everybody's got their, their Matthew and the New Testament, first gospel, right? We just go, we open our Bibles like halfway, and then you take that right side and you open it halfway again. You should land not in Mark, but Matthew, right? I did it wrong. So here, I'm going back to Matthew, and we're looking at verse 1, and we're just reviewing really quick what this sounds like to a Hebrew or a Jew. The first words that you're going to hear in the very first breath of this letter, uh, Melissa, just leave that up. I'm going to do a review. You can leave it up. I'm just going to do a review real quick. I kind of switched order. The first words you're going to hear when you, you go into this, uh, this gospel, that they're going to be read to you because you're not a reader, uh, I mean, like 8 or 10% of people could read at the time, right? And if you're a Jew or a Hebrew, there's a good chance that you were brought up in synagogue and you were probably learning to read, but we're talking about the masses, right? This letter was written to, for sure, the masses, and some would argue, and we'll discuss whether you think it's true or not, whether it was written specifically to Jews. But it was written, and then it was read aloud. So they would have heard the words in the first breath of the gospel letter, the good news Matthew is sharing, they would have heard 
biblios genesis, right? And biblios would be like, I mean, you hear biblios, you think Bible or maybe book, but in, in their, their terminology there, that's going to be like the record of or the lineage of or the line of. And it means that we're about to receive a genealogy, which was really important to Hebrews. Genealogy meant everything to them, right? If you could point to, hey, I'm from the line of David, well, you're a pretty big deal then, right? Only the temple burn, you can't do that. So quit trying, trying to say that you can't. Matthew is saying that he can, okay? Matthew's not only saying that, he's also saying genesis. Now, when you hear that, don't play any tricks on yourself. What are you hearing? Genesis, 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 right? When I say it out loud, you're hearing what book of the Bible? Yeah, you didn't actually need your Bible to answer that one, though, did you? All right, just make sure you've got your finger in uh, Isaiah 11, because we'll read through that together in a second. And you can start to try to find your way to Jeremiah. And for extra credit, you can go ahead and find Zechariah as well. But I'm still reviewing just Matthew's very first breath of whoever was reading the letter he wrote, his gospel, the good news, that Jesus is king, right? Jesus is Messiah. So they're going to hear Biblios, Genesis, lineage, genealogy. They're going to hear Genesis. They're going to hear Jesus, which to them would sound like Yeshua, right? And remember who followed Moses? That was, it would sound the same. It would sound like Yeshua, right? So they're going to hear a callback to someone who was like the guy who literally ushered them into the promised land, right? And then they're going to hear Christ. They're going to hear Mashiach. They're going to hear anointed one. That means like he's the Messiah, He's the guy that all of the scriptures are pointing to to say that God's, all of his covenant promises are going to be fulfilled and it's going to be in this guy. His name is Jesus Christ. And if there was any confusion, then Matthew tags the two biggest names in all of Hebrew history, right? David and Abraham. Massive covenant promises God has made with his people to say that I'm going to bless all nations through you, Abraham, right? Changed your name. Like we're going to make big things happen. It's going to bless the world, Right? And then he also says David, and there's an unfulfilled promise there. This is why the nature of the world that Jesus was born into at the time is such that everyone's looking for a Messiah. Everyone's looking for it because God has promised not to leave David's throne empty. And man, who's the Messiah going to be? Because all the prophets talk about a Messiah to come, right? So then Matthew uses these four quotations with the Old Testament. And I hope that the payoff for you guys was as good as it was for me the first time that I discovered this because, oh my goodness, I was reading through this and I'm thinking I get to this, this thing that today I think is a little bit unexpected. But let's review so that we can get to the unexpected together. We'll arrive together on a gravel road going, holy cow, I did not know I was going to be here today, right? So if you're still in uh, One Finger in Matthew chapter 1, we've got all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So initially, Matthew pulls from the prophet, and some would call him uh, the greatest prophet. And he's pulling from Isaiah, and uh, we went ahead and put a chapter and a verse on there. But if they're saying the prophet, and then he's going to be uh, born to a virgin, and they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? So uh, this is our, our first quotation. Then we, let's review our second one really quick. We've got Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we've got Matthew now quoting from, I think this was Micah, He's quoting from Micah, so Matthew is choosing a selection from across the prophets. This would be the middle section of the Hebrew Bible called the 
Nevi'im, I think, something like that. I can't say Hebrew very well. So let's go on to our third quotation, Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. And remain there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, remember Matthew is going to do a lot of Stein posting all the way through his book to say fulfill, fulfill, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. So he's touching on a theme. What, who else came out of Egypt, right? Israel came out of Egypt. And he's calling on Hosea at this point. He's using the prophet Hosea. All right, so then our fourth one is Matthew chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because... There no more. And so he's quoting here from, he said, Jeremiah 31, 15. So Matthew is quoted from this, this whole series of prophets all the way, um, Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, Micah, Hosea, Jeremiah 600 years, I think Micah's 500. Hundreds of years before Jesus, he's quoting from all these prophets. So let's go to our fifth and final one. Thank you for your patience in letting me get to this so it wasn't all in one sermon, right, in like a three-hour sermon. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. <clears throat> so that's quoted from, wait, now, uh, I told first service, I want you guys to do the same thing. Just examine your scriptures real quick for me. You don't have to let it come up right now and show it to me. But I would be interested if any of you have in your Bible like, down at the bottom, I've got these super tiny little footnotes. Like, you, I mean, your voice goes high when the text goes small, I guess. I'm not sure what's going on there. But I have these really tiny footnotes. You guys have footnotes in your Bibles, probably, some of you? So does anyone, you don't have to, well, I'm curious. Raise your hand if you want to. Does anyone have an Old Testament footnote on Matthew chapter 2, verse 23? Does anyone have that in their Bible? An Old Testament footnote. So just see me after if yours does. That's kind of cool, unique. I haven't found it. But uh, you go to a commentator and you can solve this little mystery here. So this is the unexpected that we're encountering together today. We're encountering something a little bit unexpected because Matthew's pattern so far has been to be a Hebrew of Hebrews kind of a writer, right? I mean, we're going through all of the Hebrew scriptures saying that this guy right here, he is the Messiah. And remember uh, this Micah 5 too. I think whenever the, um, whenever the wise men came to worship and they asked Herod, like, hey, uh, where... That we're here to worship the king, right? And, and the chief priests and the scribes in Matthew chapter 2, right here, the chief priests and the scribes, they say it is written, right? As though it is a done deal. It is a finished, complete work. So we know from right here in Matthew chapter 2 that all of those come together. At that time, even the Jews agreed that the Old Testament was complete. So, so the argument that Matthew wants to make from the Old Testament, which are the scriptures of the Jews, right? The argument he wants to make comes from something they themselves proclaim as authoritative. They, the chief priests and the scribes said this in Matthew chapter 2. So they themselves proclaim this is whole and authoritative. It is the scripture. It is the, the Torah and the Nevi'im and the, all of the writings and all of the prophets and all of the law. This is the scripture, right? So then Matthew builds his case on it and Jesus teaches from it through his whole ministry, right? So the unexpected thing is that we get down here to Matthew chapter 2, 23, and we're like, okay, I need a footnote, right? Anybody else need a footnote? I need a footnote. What is going on here? So we're going to explore what's going on there. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I heard a really funny joke. 
Uh, so have uh, any of you guys ever heard of Take Your Kid to... You want to find Isaiah 11, by the way. Find Isaiah 11. Uh, any of you guys ever heard of Take Your Kid to Work Day? So this guy was taking his, let's say, five-year-old daughter to work for Take Your Kid to Work Day. And uh, talk about unexpected. This guy takes his five-year-old daughter to work, and he starts showing her around all over work, and she starts to cry, and she's starting to sob uncontrollably, and all her coworkers are, like, gathering around, like, what is wrong with your daughter? And she's like, Daddy, where are all the clowns you said you worked with? Right? Uh, yeah, awkward, super awkward, unexpected, right? Uh, she had expected some clowns, and there were, well, I guess they were all there, but uh, yeah. That's one of those resume-generating events, isn't it? All right, so Matthew is accustomed to these Jewish texts, whereas for us, this is really unexpected. Why don't I have a footnote, right? I need to know where this is coming from. He said it's from the prophets, right? So together we'll examine that, and that's why I have you putting your fingers in Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 23 and 33 and Isaiah 4 and Zechariah 3 and 6, and you might want to make your own footnotes there for Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, but we're now going to turn to Isaiah 11, and let me read and listen for a, a theme that we'll get to at the end of some of these, and you may want to circle a couple of different themes. One theme particular we're going to pick up on, and uh, although this was unexpected because we want to see a footnote that says it's right here, it's a wordplay that Matthew gives us, and thank God for smart people that pointed this all out, Okay. So uh, I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth. Now who is this? Who echoes this later in the New Testament? He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. We hear that in Revelation, don't we? And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So the themes, uh, we're going to hear righteousness being a belt and we're going to hear um, judge and we're going to hear branch. So if you want to circle branch there, that's in Isaiah 11.1. 1. Branch is going to be a theme that some of these other prophets begin to take hold of from Isaiah. They're going to see Isaiah's theme, Right? They're going to see there's a branch, and there's hope in this branch. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Behold, this is verse 5, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. It's almost audience participation time, so get to Isaiah, or Jeremiah 20, 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous, what? What's your Bible say? A righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Fulfilling any covenants here? We've seen some covenant fulfillment maybe. And Israel will dwell securely. More promises that this prophet is saying is God is going to complete and some he's raised up for David who calls a righteous branch. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So we're going over to Jeremiah 33, 
verses 14 through 16. And after this, we only have one more audience participation, okay? All right, so Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel. So there's nothing unclear here. He's saying we're going to fulfill it. And the house of Judah. In those days and at... In those days and at that time, I will cause a, what is it, a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. All right, Zechariah, remember if you're trying to get there real quick, you go half and you take the right and you go half and you're probably in Matthew or Mark and then you just hit reverse. And pow, you're in Zechariah. And go to chapter 3. Zechariah 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. This is Zechariah 3, 8. You and your friends who sit before you for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the, the branch, right? So in Hebrew, uh, we're going to hear a, a word in a second that I think is the word playing that Matthew is making because I, honestly, I can't find a better explanation for any of this stuff. Uh, and I'm sure there are people 5,000 times smarter than me that have studied this for, I don't know, how old is Christianity? 2,000 years? And they haven't solved anything different. So we're going to go with this one. You see what you think though. So in Hebrew, Nazareth would sound the city Nazareth if there was a city of Nazareth, which there was. But the problem is, remember, it was a 150-year-old city by the time of Jesus' birth. Not a problem for God. He's got prophecies from hundreds of years before that are fulfilled in Christ. He can just bring up a city when he wants to. So we now have a city of Nazareth. But when you search the Old Testament prophets, you don't see any called Nazareth. There's just not a city, right? So how is he going to be from Nazareth? How is he going to be called a Nazarene? In Hebrew, uh, our Nazareth city is Nazareth. Nazareth. You want to say it with me? Nazareth. Nazareth. Okay. And then in Greek, we've got <coughs> Nazarene. Nazarene. Right now, we've traced a theme through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through Zechariah, and so some of those later prophets picked up on Isaiah's theme, and they carry it forward through the prophets. Right. And we now have a branch that is called the Lord's righteousness, right? That he's going to be this one that we're going to find as uh, the anointed one, the Messiah, right? So guess what branch is in Hebrew? And, and uh, I accept this as the explanation. It's called a Nazar. A Nazar. So the branch is a Nazar. And if you're going to be a Nazar, when you've got Greek, you've got Nazarene, Right? So this is my best understanding for what Matthew is pointing to based on the research that, I don't know, really smart people like Jerome did, right? And they all think that this is probably what Matthew's pointing to. And I don't know about you, you can examine it for yourself, but when you go through that whole list of scriptures and you see all of these authors and you get down to the fifth one and you see that now he's not just citing this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Now he's saying, in fact, this whole entire theme that carries all the way through the prophets is pointing, in fact, to this guy who is named Jesus. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. 
And Matthew uses the Old Testament scriptures, the ones that they believe are authoritative, to say that Jesus is the Nazar. He's the branch man. He's the stick man. He's from, if you're from Nazareth, you're from branch town, stick town? You're from stick town, right? You're from the sticks, okay? So Jesus is like literally a guy from the sticks. Now, we're not going to pick a little city from around here to pick on because every one of us is probably from little city, right? I grew up in a small town. I had nothing bad to say about a small town, right? But you remember in, I think it was John chapter 1, uh, was it Philip calling Nathaniel? He says, come, come meet the Messiah. And what does Nathaniel say? Uh, he's in Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, uh, what can come from Nazareth? Nothing good can come from Nazareth, right? That's the common understanding at the time, is that nothing good can come from Nazareth. Of course, it couldn't be from Nazareth. The theme that Matthew picks up on, that prophets lay down, is that Jesus is the guy from the sticks. Jesus is the stick man himself. He is the branch. Because there was a promise that from the root of Jesse, there would be a branch, right? There would be hope fulfilled in the one called the branch, the Nazar. There's hope. So Isaiah takes this theme, and I'm going to go to Isaiah 53. So we can see as everyday people trying to become fully devoted followers of Christ, what on earth does it mean that we've got a stick man to follow, right? I'm sure there's some analogy with a cross in there somewhere, although it's just a little bit of a stretch for me to make that analogy. I think what Isaiah does with stick man is probably what someone who's desiring to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, I think this is the application for us if we just narrow it all down to just Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. I think this is one of the applications for us. And I think it's the way that Isaiah uses it in chapter 53. I'm just going to start in verse 2. For he grew up, and I want to say that this is written poetically, like it's poetic prophecy. So uh, if you're like me, you're going to get hung up on the fact that it doesn't say branch, and it took me two hours to get over it, and there's no way to resolve this. Okay, it's just poetry, and you're going to use something that is like a branch, okay? <laughs> so don't get hung up there and follow through this imagery that Isaiah is using for the Messiah. Starting in verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. <clears throat> he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the stick man, the guy from the sticks, the guy from the town that's really of no reputation at all. In fact, if any, a bad reputation. Jesus comes in the most humble way possible that he might come to a people who are without hope and experience the lives that we experience and the lives that 
Harrison County and Floyd County, 21st century residents experience. And that is a life that's lived without hope. Now, you and I, we've got hope. So you might, I've got my hope, I'm good to go, right? But Jesus had his hope too, right? Jesus was on a throne in heaven until he considered equality to God not something to be grasped. But he what? Himself. He humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant. He became just like us from a nowhere town with no reputation. And Isaiah says that he becomes a humble servant who's accused, despised, rejected, and not worth looking at from a place that's just called the stick town. He comes into a world that needs hope. So I think then, Georgetown, the question for someone who's a, a GCC or like you're a Christ follower, right? And you say you're a, fan, you're a part of the family of Georgetown Christian. What on earth does stick man have to do with that? We're called, when we come right up here inside, like, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then we go right here and we do what? We are baptized because we are buried in death. We are buried. We are dead, right? And then we're raised to a brand new life, and that new life is one with a cross. That new life is a life of surrender. That new life is a life where we're committed to living the life of Christ out before our community now. So we're now image bearers of God, image bearers of Christ. We're now hope to a community that doesn't have hope. And if you're not sure what I mean by not having hope, I'll just give you three instances just from the last two days, just two days, okay, 48 hours, right? Like I take Fridays off and this is all the hopelessness I experienced after work was over, right? So you've got some people that are talking to you about how their marriage is falling apart and how they're really not sure if they can trust their spouse. And man, I'm really not sure how we're going to do, right? Because it seems like this thing that I could count on, maybe I really can't count on anymore. And so of course, what does that person need in their life? They know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They need hope, right? Well, what about uh, another person who uh, many of you know, uh, Evelyn and uh, Dave Molino, and you know uh, Phil and Marcy Myrick, and you know <clears throat> Rebecca, and you know Lizzie. Rebecca and Lizzie's grandpa just died, right? So in the face of death, does Grandpa Phil have hope, right? So now we're facing a loss of our grandpa, but they have hope in Christ, right? Now what about, what about someone who's working in the service industry, and you say, hey, how's your day going? I guarantee you this has happened to somebody this week. Happened to me today. How's your day going? Um, you know, I mean, wake up, work, get paid, pay taxes, die. <laughs> Talk about hopeless. Oh my gosh. In like one sentence, he just expressed like the feeling of what, have any of you got social media? I, okay, this is not a time for uh, just purging of self of all of our sins, right? You don't need to confess, but if you open your phone and you scroll through social media, I thought that's what doom scrolling was called, right? I thought that was doom scrolling. In fact, Merriam-Webster, not printed in their dictionary, but now uh, in their online reference, you can look up doom scrolling, and it means opening a news app. It's just scrolling because it's all doom, right? Because our world is without and is in urgent, desperate need of hope. Like before we knew Christ, we needed hope, didn't we? And now we have that hope. So Georgetown, you're, you're like, what on earth does a stick man have to do with me and my neighbors, right? Well, I'm telling you right now that your neighbor, you may not know it because if you're anything like me, you're busy doom scrolling or you're taking care of the chores. I mean, you're probably doing something that's important and blesses your family, okay? 
forget television and social media for a second. We'll just say you're like on the straight and narrow, you're doing everything you can to please your family and the Lord, right? But we've also got to be people who are living dead, right? Like living sacrifices, living a life that is ready to give to someone that's in need the hope that we have. So we have to be prepared to look at that neighbor and ask how they're doing and then just listen. And Georgetown, I don't know if it's your neighbor. I don't know if it's your coworker or a friend at school. Maybe you sit in a pot of dust together. I have no idea who this is. Maybe they're on your team. I don't know, but I can tell you that this world, just like us, is in dire, desperate need of hope. And if you don't believe me, there's a term called doom scrolling. Okay? We're in desperate need of hope. So how does Paul, because Paul does agree with and use the same imagery in Romans 15, how does Paul express or use this theme, the same theme, Romans, I'm not going to find it Max, am I? Romans 15, verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's the stick man, will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles, what? They'll do what? They'll hope. And then Paul goes on to say, and this is our prayer today, Georgetown. This is our closing prayer. We're literally praying this together. May, in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So we have to leave here knowing that the stick man, that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus, who gave us our hope, is not for... Did any of you sing this little light of mine? We're going to do what? It's a lot of mine. I'm going to let it shine, right? We have to be about this, this work of being filled with joy and peace and believing that by nothing that we're going to do, the power of the Holy Spirit, God at work in our hearts and lives, is going to show the world that there is hope. But it is by our belief and our trust that God is going to, through us, show this world hope. It's going to look like joy, and it's going to look like peace in believing that he will and can do that because he, of course, wants the good news of the love of his son to be shared with the world. So I said that it was a really unexpected trip, and we hopped off the road. Wow, we were on the dirt gravel road, and uh, it was very unexpected, and we were 24 miles into a super dusty journey down a long road without a cell signal, so really not sure if it was 24 miles but about halfway through, we saw a little glimmer of hope. There was a sign, like, oh my gosh, they expect people to travel this road. This is great news, right? So we get past the sign, and I don't care to admit how many more miles it was, but I'm starting to lose hope all over again because hope leaks. It just goes away, and it doesn't take long going through, I don't know, a little doom scroll or a little go to work and hear that we're laying off this month. But finally, guess what we see? We see like a fire tower, one of those giant towers you can climb up and prove that you really are out of shape, right? Or check to see if there's a fire in a national forest. So we see a fire tower for the Khabib Forest. And we climb the tower, and I clearly need to work out more, and we climb the tower, and from the tower, without a cell signal still, I can see, oh my gosh, it's the road! And we get to the road, and we look back, and we see 307. Forest Service Road, 307. <laughs> so if you leave this, uh, this morning with anything, it is that you need to be 
a glimmer, a shining light of hope for a world that needs the hope that we already have. We can already see from the fire tower that the road is right out here and you're not far off, right? We, we have cell signal, we've got recovery gear, and best of all, we've got friends, right? We've even got a Holy Spirit alive and at work in each one of us who is going to make us abound in joy and peace. Georgetown, leave today knowing that you have the hope that the world needs. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together to study your word, to lift up your name, to glorify your name, to remember the great gift of your son in communion. Father, I thank you for your scripture, and I thank you for the theme that Matthew shows us all the way through the prophets, that the branch will be the hope, that the branch will be despised and rejected. He'll come from nowhereville, just like us, a complete nobody, and he will experience what will be experienced, and that he'll go on to be a king and a ruler who doesn't rule with power like we think about on earth, but he rules with a universal heavenly power. God, we're praying the, the prayer that, God, that Paul is praying in Romans. We're praying that you, the God of hope, would fill each of us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit that each of us may abound in hope. Father, that Harrison and Floyd County would know that you are the reason for our hope. Father, we pray that this work would be done through us by your Holy Spirit and for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.